Welcome to Belfast City Vineyard, where we are pursuing formation in the presence of Jesus, community gathered around him, and the impact he empowers us to bring in our families, city, and the world. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. For more information, visit our website at BelfastCityVineyard.com. Well, good morning. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Gunter. I'm part of the pastoral care team here uh, at BCV. And we, we've quite recently begun a new series on the, the gospel or the eyewitness account of the life of Jesus written by Mark. And last week, Andy took us through Mark 1, verses 14 to 15, where Jesus starts his ministry by announcing that the time has come that the, the kingdom of God has come near or is at hand or is accessible. And I'm not going to try and recap all of Andy's talk, precisely what that was all about. Uh, but if you missed it, you can find the recording on the website. It's also on our YouTube channel. It, it really is worth a listen, though. It, it was such a, an excellent message. And that theme of the kingdom of God is so central to who we are as a vineyard church. It pretty much explains why we are the way that we are and, and everything that we, we do that we prioritize. Just as a, as a very short summary though, in order to kind of tee us up for this week's passage, essentially what Andy was saying is that the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. It's life the way it was always meant to be. Uh, life the way it was always designed to be, breaking in, finally coming to pass in Jesus. So relationship with God being restored and the sick being healed and demons cast out and good news preached to the poor uh, and injustice and hard-heartedness challenged. It really is redemption on a cosmic scale. It's an incredible announcement. And Jesus is saying all of that is happening now through me and is accessible. And he then concludes this announcement with a call to action, with a call to response, where he says the kingdom of God is at hand now Repent and believe the good news. In other words, make a, a complete change of direction, which is what the word uh, repent in the original Greek language, metanoia, literally means to, to, to kind of make a change in direction. If you weren't already going that way, if that's not the way you were thinking, you were headed, then turn around 180 degrees and come this way instead. Come follow me, the person and the purpose of Jesus. And so it's in that context then that this morning we come to Mark 1, verses 16 to, to 20, which it's a very well-known passage. It's the calling of Jesus' first disciples. And I believe that it's placed right here by Mark immediately after this announcement and this call to action by Jesus because it instantly shows us what responding to Jesus, what responding to that call to action looks like. So here's what we read happens in, in Mark 1, starting at verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets, they followed him. When he'd gone a little bit further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. 
Now, just a, a little bit of background uh, on this passage. So the action takes place on the Sea of Galilee, which actually isn't really a, a sea. It's actually sort of a, a freshwater inland lake. But it is quite big. It's about sort of seven miles wide by 13 miles uh, long. It's also known for having powerful storms and really big waves. And at the time, there were 16 busy fishing villages kind of dotted all around the edge of it. And so the people who lived there like to call it a sea. It's a bit, it's a bit like Bangor being called a city. You know, is it really? Doesn't matter. If you live there, it is end of discussion. So, so it was called the Sea of Galilee. It also had a bunch of other names. It was referred to variously in the New Testament as the Sea of Tiberias, the Lake of Gennesaret, the, the Sea of Gennesaret. And so Jesus is walking along the shoreline. And as he does so, he spots two pairs of brothers going about their business, their daily work of fishing. Simon, who would later be called Peter by Jesus, uh, and his brother Andrew, and they're already out fishing. And then there's James and his brother John, who are, who are just getting ready to go out with their dad and his hired men, which is all great. You know, it's a, it's a picturesque day in the, the life of a first century uh, Palestinian fishing village. But then this happens. With apparently little or, or no preamble whatsoever or any real unpacking of what it is that he means, Jesus says to first one pair of brothers, and then to the other, stop what you're doing. Leave everything. Come follow me. And I'll teach you how to fish for people instead. And they do. Which, as familiar as this passage might be to us, and it is, you know, it's, it's well-loved. It's the calling of the first disciples. So, of course, we know this is what happens. They do. They go follow him. The early church is born. If you stop and think about it, though, it is utterly remarkable, as the words I've written down here, but really it's sort of half crazy and half amazing, I think would be a better description. Because what is it that Jesus is asking of them? He's asking them, firstly, to, to leave their livelihoods. You know, their, their only source of income, the only thing that they, they know how to do that's been passed down from generation to generation, from father to son. They don't know anything else. And it is also actually in its own way quite a prestigious job because fishing was really important to the economy of the whole area. So fish caught in the Sea of Galilee was, was sold locally, but it was also sold further abroad in such exotic places as Alexandria in Egypt uh, and Antioch and, and Syria. So many of the local fishermen often actually spoke Greek, the international language of, of culture, of business. And so being fishermen, was, was good. You know, it's a source of income, also some pride, maybe some prestige. And, and Jesus is asking them to give all that up. He's also asking them, secondly, to leave their families. So we see James and John do that immediately. They leave their dad right there in the boat. But Simon, Peter, and Andrew will also have to leave their families if they're going to go off traveling with Jesus. They, you know, their, their family's going to stay where they are. Which, in our sort of modern Western culture is, is a bit sad. It's kind of tinged with a, a bit of sadness, but it is also quite exciting because, you know, it's sort of a rite of passage for us to, to leave your parents, to kind of strike out on your own, going off to university or, or maybe to a different city or even country for a new job. It's, it's just what we do. But in 
traditional cultures, like that of first century Palestine uh, and many traditional cultures still today, you, you get your identity, your whole sort of understanding of who you are from your family. Everything is about and is centered around being with and honoring and providing for and worshiping with and working with and simply doing life with your family. So on two counts really, leaving their livelihood and leaving their families, this is a monumental, even ridiculous, ask by Jesus under any circumstances. And even more so when you consider that it's coming from a virtual stranger who provides little to, to no explanation of, of what lies ahead. And yet they do it. They, they go without hesitation. Why on earth would they do that? Now, the Gospel of John does tell us that Andrew and Peter had at least met Jesus once before. Now, remember, the, the, the Gospel of Mark is very succinct. Uh, it's not that he's unaware of that. It's not like he's trying to hide anything. He's just kind of cutting to the chase, and so he doesn't include it. But we do see in John chapter 1 that Andrew was originally one of John the Baptist's disciples. And after John baptized Jesus, the next day, uh, Andrew got to spend a couple of hours with Jesus. And they also went and he got Peter and introduced him. So, so they did have at least some frame of reference for who he is. But James and John don't. They've never met him. And even Simon and Andrew, you know, they've spent a few hours with him in a, in a kind of a group setting, but they don't, they don't really know that much about him because he hasn't yet laid, laid his cards on the table and said, this is what I've come to do. You know, this is what I'm here for. He hasn't made his, his announcement or he hasn't started doing any of the, the miracles or, or teaching vast crowds, you know, all the things he'd become so famous for. So what is it? that could convince all four men without hesitation and, and knowing as little as they do about Jesus or, or, or what he's actually calling them to, to just walk away from everything and from everybody they previously knew and valued to follow him. I believe it's because, and they couldn't have possibly known this at the time, but I believe it's because they are in the presence of God. Mark is very clear in the first sentence of his gospel, Mark 1, verse 1, that that's who Jesus is. That's what this whole gospel account is about. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the maker, the master of the universe himself, becoming flesh, walking amongst us in order to come and redeem the world. And so there is just something incredibly magnetic, electric, significant, weighty about him. Jesus is just utterly compelling. And therefore, this is simply one of those rare life-defining moments where you're confronted with something so significant, an invitation so compelling, that you just know in your gut you've got to respond. You've got to say yes, because it will transform your life. And so they do. Here's one more thing I think is quite remarkable about this passage. It, it would have been very unique, almost unheard of really, in Jewish tradition for Jesus, so the, the teacher or the rabbi in this situation, to, to seek out 
Andrew, James, and, and John, and, and Peter, the would-be students, and ask them to follow him. It was almost always the other, the other way around. Students, would, they would seek out the rabbis, hoping they could maybe convince them to let them follow them, to let them be taught by them. But instead, Jesus seeks them out. And not only that, but rather than using sort of well-established biblical imagery to describe what he's calling them to, like other rabbis might, so maybe metaphors like, come follow me, and I will make you shepherds, you know, to bring in the lost sheep, or, or I'll make you laborers bringing in the harvest. Instead, he says, I will make you fishers of men, or of people, a phrase that has no scriptural precedent in this kind of context. In fact, the only time that it's used in the Old Testament is used in a distinctly negative connotation. It's just not the right thing to say here. But Jesus does it because, why? Because he knows it will connect with them. He's just speaking their language. And so Jesus pursues them and, and he meets them where they are rather than where they aren't. He also doesn't ask them for any qualifications. They don't have any. And as a son of God, he already knows probably pretty well what their many disqualifications, past, present, and future are. And yet he calls them just as they are, not as they aren't. What is Jesus calling you to right now? Is he inviting you to, to come follow me for the first time? to know Him, to, to be with Him, the Son of God, and to be part of what He is doing, the kingdom of God, life the way it was meant to be, a life of healing, of hope, of purpose for you and for the world around you. you know, there are so many other good things in our lives that would seek to fulfill that slot, that slot of primacy to give us ultimate meaning, ultimate fulfillment, our families our careers, our friends, our hobbies, all of them, in most instances, extremely good things and enjoyable things. And yet, they all can and do let us down. And even at their very best, they still, they're just not quite enough. They aren't that, that everything, that something more, that something bigger that we're looking for, because they're not designed to be. They're always designed to be part of a bigger picture. Which is, I imagine, if you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus right now, at least a big part of why you're, you're watching this message and kind of joining in this online service. You just, you know in your gut, there's got to be more. There has to be. And you're wondering if maybe somehow Jesus holds the key. Could I invite you to consider today. He does. He offers you relationship with and life lived in the company of and the wisdom and the power and the purpose of the God of the universe. The one who put every star, every planet in place and also made you. Knows you, loves you. Has a plan and a purpose for your life and for this world. Could I invite you today to, to hear his words to, to Peter, to, to Andrew, to James, and to John, as his words actually directly to you. Come follow me. And you know, even if like these first disciples, you, there's still a fair bit you just don't quite know yet 
about exactly how that will look and what all it might entail. But you just know it's what he's calling you to. Could I invite you to say yes? If you already follow Jesus, is he perhaps inviting you to actually do pretty much the same thing? To come know him, to, to be with him, to be part of what he is doing all over again. Just in a whole new intentional way. I don't know about you, but this, this last sort of two years of the, the global pandemic was pretty brutal on my spiritual life and emotionally and mentally and even physically. And, you know, for some of us, and there's just genuinely no shame in this at all. It's, it's rocked our faith. But we're here. I'm here. There's something in us that, that hasn't given up, that is still hungry, that's maybe even hungrier than we've ever been before. But we're also tired and we're confused and maybe even feeling a bit ashamed. Jesus meets you where you are, not where you aren't. He pursues us. He wants us. And He takes us just as we are. He doesn't need any qualifications. He doesn't really care about what you think your disqualifications are. He's inviting us through His Word today to come follow Him, to be with Him, to know Him, to be part of what He is doing. Which might look like restarting your personal walk with Him, you know, just kind of reestablishing some rhythms in your life, or maybe being part of what He is doing in your family, or in your neighborhood, or in your workplace, or, or in, in this church community, or another church community, you know, diving back into life with Him. As I was preparing this talk, I also I just sense there'd be some people listening to this who God is calling you right now to a very specific thing. You've been walking with Jesus, you know, you've been following Him, and there's just something particular that He's been talking to you about, a dream, a passion, something He's been stirring in your heart. And actually, the, the, the picture I had was of something like an itch that just won't go away until you scratch it. I believe that he wants to say to you that you're not imagining that. It's him speaking to you. And he's inviting you to say yes and to take the next step, whatever that might be. It can be very tempting to think, well, I have to know the whole plan first. Or, you know, I have to be fully equipped first before, before I, can, I can say yes. But in my experience, that is very rarely, if ever, the case. It's not really how it works. You know, just look at Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They spend the next three years learning from Jesus. And even after that, every day was still a learning day, figuring things out together and with the Holy Spirit as the early church grew. In my own life, the, the biggest moments of yes came well before I knew exactly what I was going to be doing or, or how I was going to do it. You know, just becoming a follower of Jesus, I knew nothing. Apart from just this one fact, I didn't want to live another day without Him, without the, the, His companionship and without His purpose. Or signing up to become a, a full-time missionary when I was 18, doing Christian theater. 
at the time, I just, I just knew it's what God had for me. It's kind of what I, I felt was within me to do. But it took years before I really became any good at it. Or developed a mature understanding that what I was doing was actually ministry and not just some sort of extended year out. And it actually ended up becoming 10 of the most formative years in, in my life. During which time, uh, amongst others, I encountered the Holy Spirit. Uh, I met the Vineyard Church. Very importantly, I met and married my wife. Uh, I ended up doing lots of ministry. But I didn't really know any of that going in. And there have just been several other key moments like that in my life. Some, sometimes related to kind of career and changes of, of work path and so on. But, but most of them not. Most of them are related to other things. Where, where what I felt God calling me into was, was really, it was a step of faith into the unknown. What is God calling you to right now? What, is it, what does He put on your heart to pursue. We won't know everything. We, we won't feel fully equipped, but we can say yes and just take the next step, whatever it might be. I also felt that even as I say all of that, there'll be some of us thinking, I wish there was me. You know, I wish I knew what God wanted me to do next. I've been walking with Jesus and it's great. But I'm ready for a new challenge, a fresh new way to explore life with him, doing something significant. I just, I have no idea what that is. And I believe the invite for you today is to go ahead and boldly ask him, what do you want to do together now, Jesus? And one of the amazing things about being a follower of Jesus is the extraordinary intimacy with and access to the God of the universe that affords us. Where despite His profound holiness, His his otherness, we get to, without ceremony, without circumstance or pretense, come to and be just totally honest with Him. Including asking, what do you want to do together now, God? I know it's going to be something good because you're good. I know it's going to be something meaningful, something fulfilling. What is it? What do you see happening in and through my life? And then listen. Listen in scripture. Listen in worship. Listen in silence. Listen out in nature. Listen alone. Listen with others. Take time to listen. I said at the very beginning of this talk that I believe this passage is located exactly where it is on purpose. Immediately after Jesus' announcement in verses 14 to 15 that the kingdom of God is at hand and then that call to respond, to act. Because the response here in verses 16 to 20 of the first disciple shows us unequivocally what it looks like to do exactly that. To take action, to respond, to say yes to the person and to the purposes of Jesus. And I, I just believe that this, we're in a season right now, coming out of this pandemic, where God is inviting us to do that. To say yes. Yes to relationship with Him. Yes to joining Him in what He is doing in and around us. 
Yes to the things that he is stirring in us. Yes to wanting him to stir things in us. And saying yes will be unsettling at times. Because all change is unsettling. And particularly when we're stepping into something unknown or even when things feel risky. But it will also transform our experience of what it feels like to be alive. Because we are with and we are joining in the purposes of the God of the universe. I'd love to finish by just praying for us. In fact, the first thing I want to do is actually be quiet for just a moment. Uh, and we've, we've covered a lot of ground. And let's, let's just give ourselves a little bit of time to, to reflect and also give God an opportunity to come and speak directly, personally to each of us. So, Lord Jesus, we, we invite you to come and do that. By your Holy Spirit, would you draw near? Come rest on each of us. And share your heart, share your mind with us personally. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for what you're saying. Thank you for what you're doing. If you feel it resonates for you to do so, would you, would you join with me right now, just in your own hearts, in saying yes to Jesus? Or we say yes to following you for the first time or all over again. We want to be defined by you by relationship with you, and by a life lived on purpose with you. We say yes to following you. We say yes to those things that you're stirring in us, those dreams, those passions. Would you give us courage, give us wisdom to take the next step? And we also say yes to wanting to be stirred. Lord, would you show us what it is that you have for us? What you have for us next as we follow you, as we live our lives with you. Amen. Thank you very much for joining us and have a really good rest of your week. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.